Thanks, Lauren. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Good. Good to see everyone. My name is Mark. If you don't know me, I serve as one of the pastors here at the Hallows Church, and it is great to be here, and I've been talking about it all day. I'm genuinely excited about it. This is the second time in a week I've seen the sun. Like, last Sunday I saw the sun, and I, my heart rejoiced. This Sunday I saw the sun, and my heart rejoiced, and I get to tell everybody about it. Isn't that crazy, like, the effect that weather has on a person? You know what I'm saying? This morning we're going to be diving into uh, all of chapter 14. We're going to be covering the whole chapter and kind of doing a big sweep through where we're going to be summarizing the outer edges, but we're going to be kind of focusing and maybe bringing all of our attention into those verses that Lauren just read for us, verses 8 through 23. So before we begin, would you guys say a quick prayer with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the evening that we get to spend together worshiping and glorifying you. Lord, despite hardship, despite hardship, would you show us your hope? Would you show us, would you give us humble hearts to be turned and to be able to see the hope that is within us through your gospel? Would you show us that tonight in this chapter? We love you in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have been walking with us in in Acts, you've noticed that, um, you you might have noticed this observation. As I've been walking through it, I've come across time and time again, it seems like, as it's described in here, and not even just Acts, but in the scriptures themselves, it seems like, The reoccurring observation I see is that following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus can be really difficult. And even though it seems like to me there's moments where I can say we've, maybe because we're on this side of the cross, if you will, we don't have those same kind of struggles, but it seems like we do. And that's how the scriptures really connect to us is because they bring us onto the same level And the same problems, though they look a little different, though they're wrapped a little different, they're the same. Hardship seems to be a steady pulse, steady pulse that runs through the scriptures and through our lives. Now, I want to be really clear because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page when I describe describe hardship. What is hardship? Hardship I'm defining as, as what I see here as this just real difficulty, just hard Difficult things. That includes suffering. That includes trials. That includes um, fatigue, discomfort, moments of potentially depression, loneliness, hardship. That is hardship. And so it leads us to ask, why why is it necessary for hardship to happen and hardship to occur in the Christian life? Why is it necessary for hardship to occur in the Christian life? And our passage this morning thankfully addresses that very question. Because our passage shows us that it answers it by showing us how hardship is necessary for humility to flourish and hope to grow within us. This theme of of hardship Humility, 
and hope. It's like this three-chord strand that we find all throughout this chapter and all throughout, really, the scriptures. So first, let's dive into it and see where our story begins and looking at hardship. So hardship, we see the gospel accepted and rejected. Now, if you've uh, just read chapter 13, if you were with us in chapter 13 last week, we just noticed that, that Paul and Barnabas, they start out on their journey, their first missionary journey. They're traveling along. All of these amazing, complex moments happen where we see God's storyline within the lives of his people really shining bright, right? We see uh, Saul, he becomes Paul. We see Barnabas, he moves to the side, let's Paul take his place as the leader of the trip. We see uh, people saved. We see this sorcerer cast out. All of this amazing thing, all these amazing things happen. But the steady pulse of hardship is that though some people accept the gospel, others reject it. Others reject it, and they don't just reject it. They try to make it really difficult for Paul and Barnabas to continue. They want them to hurt. They want them to feel pain so that they will forget the message that they have and they'll just keep going. And so our chapter begins right away with people both accepting the gospel and rejecting the gospel. But this time, those who were rejecting the gospel, they kind of changed it up a little bit. They made it a little spicier. Now what they want to do is they want to affect everyone. They want to tell everyone why they should hate Paul and Barnabas. So what they do is verse 2, it says that they start, this is terrible, they start poisoning their minds. It wants to give us a picture of a sickness, of a, of a poison spreading into a town and a darkness forming over a town that makes it impossible for Paul and Barnabas to be able to leave. So what should they do? What should they do? Let's read in verse 3 and 4. It says, So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. So you can already see the challenge here. You can already see the challenge because they're running out of time. They're running out of time. They see everything, the influence that's gathering around them, that's all darkness, and they just don't have the time to spend with these people. And so their message becomes very urgent. They have to get right to the point. What is the point? God's grace is sufficient for you. Hold on. God's grace is enough. Jesus is enough. No, we don't know what's going to happen. But we do know that as you look and you see all these signs and wonders around you, you will see these signs and wonders point to the Lord miraculously preserving you. But eventually they are driven from the town. And there's a pain in leaving and not knowing what's going to happen next. Just think about the, we, let's sit in it for a minute. Think about the, the heartache that they must have felt. 
right? Their, their hearts are being pulled in one direction to stay and help minister to these people and strengthen them. But external forces are pushing them out and they're forced to go. We already see an example of hardship. So what's the point of it? Why is this necessary? If something like this, if they didn't have enough time, if they got forced out, why is it necessary for them to go through this? I believe it's because hardship placed them in a posture of total dependency on Christ. A total dependency. They couldn't finish their trip. They didn't say everything they, they wanted to say, but that had to have been enough because they had to know that Christ is enough and Jesus is going to preserve and hold these people close. It was a total dependency on Christ to show up. But they have hope that they'll continue seeing God's grace amidst these hard circumstances because, friends, life is hard. All of us can agree to that. And in order to endure hardship, we must put ourselves in a place of humility, a place of total dependency on Christ to show up. God uses hardship to make us more reliant on him, to depend on his strength. 2 Corinthians 12 says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. When hardship comes, we pray for humility to follow. We must pray for dependency on him. Paul and Barnabas, they carry this message across the countryside. They go up to Lystria, Lystria, and they go up there and they... The first person that they really contact and they see come to faith is the most unlikely person of all. Let's read in verses 8 through 10 where we see humility coming to broken, a broken person. In Lystria, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet. He had never walked and he had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and began to walk around. So what happened? Well, Paul and Barnabas, they find themselves in Lystria. And this is this, just to give you, paint the picture here for you, this is like a rural mountain town. Off in the country, up in the mountains, this community has never heard the gospel before. They didn't have any understanding of who Jesus was. They didn't have any understanding of who God was. And so they worshipped multiple idols. They worshipped different idols, but they were far removed from everyone. And here, Paul and Barnabas, they come strolling in like normal people here to give the good news. And everyone gets really excited, probably because there's new people here. We know everyone. We want strangers. This is great. So they start talking to them. Quickly, Paul and Barnabas, they gather a big crowd together. Now, in this moment of humility, I want to show you something. I want to show you the character of God in this moment because he really shows his character here and really lets it shine. In a crowd filled to the brim, 
with people shouting over each other, trying to get a voice into these, these new people. God is looking for the one who can't get up. God has his eyes on the person who can't stand on his own. Paul sees him and he sees his faith. Shouting, stand up on your feet. And the crowd turns. They see this man who they had known had been unable to walk his whole life. All of a sudden, jumping up and leaping. Isaiah 35, it uses that same language for jumping. It says, leaps. It says, the lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the, in the desert. What a beautiful picture of the character of God here. Amidst heartache and difficulty, we see the character of God shining through. Jesus is after the lost one who has no voice, who has no ability to help himself. He doesn't have to go to God. God came to him. This pictures, this shows us a picture of the shepherd who finds his lost sheep and restores a worn out body. He's found his lost soul in, in a crowded room and treasures it above everything else. He has, he's not been forsaken. He's not been forgotten. His father has been waiting to wrap his arms around his weary son and say, get up and walk. That is the gospel. That is the tender heart of Jesus raising him up to new life. And in this moment, humility and joy are filled in the response of the lame man. And humility is filled in the message that Paul's bring, Paul brings to the crowd. Because what happens next takes him completely by surprise. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, called, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. What? What? What do you mean? What do you mean that's, that's not supposed to happen? Everybody's supposed to be saved in this moment, Right? This happened earlier when a lame man was healed and everybody, you know, people are coming to faith in Jesus. So what happened? Well, this is a part of the cultural thing. So let me give you a little story here that to kind of shape and frame up this, why this feels so random. So, once upon a time, once upon a time, there was these Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, right? That was his son. This is what the group, this is, by the way, this is what the town believed. They come down from the skies, from the heavens in human form, and they want to be fed. So they walk around to this mountain town, and they walk around to the different houses, and they're asking for people to show them hospitality. But every house that they go to, people deny them. They go to the next house, and they're denied. The next house, they're denied. Now that Zeus is getting really upset. Zeus is getting real mad. They go to a thousand houses, and then they finally get to the last house where it's this little old couple. And this little old couple invite them into their house and they give them everything that they need. They show them all of this hospitality. 
And so what was the response of Zeus and Hermes? We are going to reward this group and destroy everyone else. And that's what the story is ringing in their minds. They're like, we don't want that to happen again. We came ready this time. Oh, no. We're ready when we see two people. So when this moment happens, the crowd goes wild. This is our chance to show hospitality to Zeus and Hermes. This is amazing. Let's do this. So everybody's shouting. But because they're shouting, they're actually shouting in a language that Paul and Barnabas, they can't even understand. So they're like, what is going on? You know, what, what is happening here? And they don't understand until they see the sight. You know what I'm talking about. The little old priest, the priest of Zeus, coming down with the bull. And, he's, and then they realize, Paul's like, they want to sacrifice to us. That's a terrible idea. We can't do that. And so in the, this moment of frustration, they tear their robes and they come into the people. They come into the crowd. And this is what they say. People, stop. Stop. People, we, why are you doing these things? We are people just like you. And we are proclaiming the good news to you that you would turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. This is what I want you to think about. So there's, there's humor in that because it's just so crazy and so chaotic. But in this, we can see real humility that notice where Paul starts. After he says, stop, he says, notice that we are people just like you. Humility is, is saturated in his, in his message. The apostles, they never held, held their status above anyone because Jesus never held his status above anyone. They knew that they didn't save themselves. Jesus saved them. And they would be just as lost if he hadn't. Friends, effective gospel proclamation starts with a humble heart. Say that again. Effective gospel proclamation starts with a humble heart. Peter in Acts 10, when Cornelius comes and falls at his feet, what does he do? What does he say? He says the same thing. Get up. I am just a man. I am a man just like you. He would later say in 1 Peter 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now we look at this story and we think, okay, that's a little unlikely to happen today. But is it? You got to ask yourselves, do people like to be worshipped? Your response would be, mmm, right? Mmm, thank you. Yes. People do love to be worshipped. And it's so easy now. It's so easy now to get swept up in it. Social media, Instagram, all this, all this stuff flying around makes worshiping others, each other, lifestyles, different things so attractive. We need humility. We need humility because in humility we adopt the same posture of Jesus. 
Philippians 2. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. If Jesus is humble, we need to be humble. That starts with the dependency on Christ and hardship. Paul says, I am a man just like you. And in that humility, he goes back to the beginning. He has their attention for just a moment. He has their attention for just a moment. So what is he going to do with it? He's going to speak to them in a way that they can understand. He doesn't start with Jesus. Instead, he goes back to the beginning and he says, just look around you. Look around you and see that God has given you the rain. God has given you the seasons and the food that has filled your hearts with joy. So why is he taking this approach? It's because he knows the crowd. He knows what they need. Because they don't know anything about Jesus. He starts by describing to them what theologians would later what theologians would call like a general grace what is the grace that god has given to humanity what is the grace that god has given to people he's giving us water rain he's given us seasons and so paul wants to make those connections together that there is a creator and this creator is over the creation it's not these idols and these little gods that they've been worshiping. And still, I believe that we can still start with all of the spirituality, all of the different religions going on, bringing, coming back to the general grace of the creator and his creation is still a very helpful tool in us when we're explaining the gospels, to, when we're explaining the gospel to, to people because you can't ignore nature. We're all in it. We're all in it. People have tried to remove it. Scientists have tried to remove it. People of different have said that it's not there, but you can't remove the creator from the creation. Stephen King, of all people. Stephen King, I'm talking about the guy who writes the really scary books. You know what I'm talking about. The guy who writes the scary stuff. I haven't read it. I get spooked easy. I'm not going to read it. But still, that guy, he had a really good interview that, a, a really amazing uh, uh, conversation that he had with this, this host. This interview, he's talking about, um, they're talking about describing his new book, and somewhere along the way they describe, um, he says, he mentions that he believes in God. He believes in a creator. And the interviewer just stops up abruptly and says, what? You? You believe, in, you believe in God. And quite surprised, he says, well, I guess that's just a choice you've made. And he says, well, if you say, okay, I, I don't believe in God, there's no evidence of God, listen to this, then you're missing the stars in the sky. And you're missing the sunrises and the sunsets. And you're missing the fact that bees pollinate all these crops and keep us alive in the way that everything seems to work together at the same time, the power of the creator is demonstrated in the creation. 
But unfortunately for Stephen King and so many others, they stop there. They stop there and they, they don't make that further connection. This is why parents, this is a great application for us to be walking with our kids and when we walk outside, when we're looking at flowers blooming, when we're looking at sunrises and sunsets, we want to point to Jesus. We want to say, Jesus is God and he made this. He made this for us. Paul shares this message. And knowing Paul, he's obviously going to get to the gospel, even though if he has to start from the beginning. But hardship again, here's another moment. It stops short. He can't finish his speech. He can't finish his sermon that's happening. Because those same Jews who were poisoning minds in the other village, in the other town, made their way to this one. They followed them there. And in one moment, Paul sees before him people trying to sacrifice bulls to him. And then in the next minute, they're picking up stones and they're throwing it at him. So easily they turned. They turned against him. They drag him out after they had finished stoning him. They drag him out once desiring to worship, now they desire to kill. Let's read verse 19 and 20 and see what happens. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and he went into the town the next day and left with Barnabas for Derby. Will they catch a break? Will they catch a break just when it seems like it's about to get better. Just when it seems like he's about to make some progress. They're, at least they're not sacrificing to us anymore. Now I can at least start somewhere. Everything seems to get a lot worse. And it leads us to the question, why did it have to be like that? God just healed a man. He just healed a man. How come he didn't prevent Paul from getting stones thrown at him. It's a question we should ask. We should look into this and say, why? Why didn't that happen? I believe it's all wrapped around hope. Let's read verse 21 and 23. After they preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The reason why this didn't happen is because Paul is looking like Jesus. Hardship and humility look like Jesus. Paul looks the most like Jesus when despite pain, Despite suffering, despite heartache, despite hurt, he can get up and still say, God is good. Jesus suffered on my behalf. Now I get to suffer on his. And not even just that, he's with me. When the world sees our hardship clothed in humility, 
they see the hope that is within us. We are living like Christ. Hardship will produce humility and hope for others to believe. And God will use our hardship for good. So I have this vivid memory of of a testimony, this powerful testimony that a pastor, when I was just a teenager, he told me. And I think it's, I think it's so vivid and it's just a, and really ingrained in me because I think this was the, really the first testimony that I ever heard of someone coming to faith. And it was this pastor, his, his name was Paul, and um, he was a pastor in this little church that my dad started taking taking us to, and he was just really excited to see, like, teenagers in his church. And there was, there was only two of them, me and my twin sister. We were the only ones there. But he loved us, and he would always, he would always talk to us and invite us over. And um, I remember this moment when he shared with me his testimony. And he was always really happy, but kind of had that somber appearance at the same time. And one time he tells me this, and he says, you know, I wasn't always this happy. Okay. He said, yeah, because I used to be a drug dealer. What? <laughs> Obviously, a teenager's like, oh, now my, you have my attention. <laughs> and he tells me, yeah, years and years ago, I, he, he ran this business, this, this drug business out of his house. He said, like, yeah, there's drugs all over the place. They're all over the floor, piled up, and there was... I had all this cash just stacked up on my dining room table. And I would have different drug dealers kind of coming in and out of my house. And I was kind of help, I was kind of the main one putting it all together. And he said, but you know what I remember is that there was this little pastor who would always come find me when I was out on the town. And he was actually, he was really annoying. He would always be there, and he, it's like he knew, but he would always come up, and he would always say hi, and he was always so kind, but he was always inviting me to church and telling me about Jesus and telling how much Jesus loved me and how he can just come. I can, I can just come and, and be a part of this, but I didn't want to be a part of any of that. And He would constantly be pursuing me when I was on the town wall. He said one day that I was in this big parking lot and I had all the people around because I was about to make this, this big drug deal that was about to kind of go down. And he was finishing the last plans. And as everybody was leaving, sure enough, who comes strolling in but the little pastor? This pastor humbly, with concerned eyes, starts coming to him. And he, and he says, Paul, you got to turn away from this. You got to move away from this stuff. You've got to trust Jesus, know that he's died for your sins, that there's forgiveness there. And I remember him telling me that I got so angry with him. I got so mad and, and filled in a rage. I just looked around and I just tried to walk away in any direction that I could. So I just walked across the street into this kind of open lot. And as I was walking, he kept following me. He kept following me and telling me to, that I, I need to trust Jesus. And so I turned around and I hit him. And he fell straight to the ground, and then I hit him again and again and again until he didn't get back up. And his blood's on his face as he's bruised. 
Paul leaves him there all alone, broken and bruised, and gets in his car and drives away. Well, that night, that big group that was going to be working with him all turned against him. They were all waiting in his house. And he said he walked into the door, and they had bats ready, and they were beating him. They took all of the drugs. They took all of the money that was on the table. They broke his legs. And then once they broke his ribs, that's when he finally passed out. He said, I woke up in the hospital. I was bandaged up. Bandages all on my side, on my legs. I was bruised. He said, but I wasn't alone because the pastor was there. The pastor had come back to me and he had found me in my house and he called the ambulance and he rode in the ambulance with me and he sat there and prayed night and all day for Jesus just to show himself to me. And as like tears are running down his face, this is the amazing part. He says, when I saw him broken and bruised because of me, I saw how much Jesus loved me. I saw how much Jesus loved me. How is that possible? How do we do that? How does that happen? How is that to be so? It is possible because our hardship, through our hardship, people will see our hope. When your body is bruised, when your body is broken, when your heart feels like it has just been pulled out of you, when you feel like you can't get up in the morning, but you still do, people will see the hope that is within you. Because you will be showing them the posture of Jesus. In moments of hardship, your humility and dependency on Christ will strengthen you to shine the hope that Jesus has given you. It isn't Paul's smile that strengthens the people. It's his wounds. It isn't his smile, it's his wounds. His wounds demonstrate the power of the gospel and the relentless love that God has for his children. 2 Corinthians 12, I will boast gladly all the more about all of my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As he stands before his people, broken and bruised, with wounds from being stones thrown at him, that's when he can say with full confidence, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And check this out. Not only that, but Paul would go back through every town that he was persecuted in to show the churches his wounds, bringing hope to each one. And what happens? What happens with that? Within, by people witnessing this hope, 
this visual demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ, people are strengthened. People are strengthened and move into a new leadership and say, not only do I believe that, now I can tell, I can follow in Paul's footsteps and lead others and tell them the same thing. Appointing new elders. He says in verse 27, after they arrived and gathered in the church together, After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. We see that through these moments of hardship and complete dependency on hope demonstrated opens the door of faith in Christ. Faith in Christ who came to serve and to die as a ransom for many, whose broken body would lead to life, they saw Jesus' sacrifice and his relentless love for his people through the hardships of Paul and Barnabas. This is our hope, that in hardship, you are like Jesus. Hardship makes us like Jesus. That's why it's necessary. We suffer for him because he suffered for us. But here's the good news. In that hardship, in that suffering, we have a promise where he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In every hurt, And in every heartbreak and in every pain, I will be with you. Nothing can separate me from you. So have hope. Let's pray. God, would you continue to give us your hope? Would you show us how through the sacrifice of Jesus, dying on the cross, And rising three days later that there is a hope within us. And it is so strong. And it is best demonstrated through hardship. But in that, God, we pray for humility. Would you make us humble? Give us the posture of Jesus. So that we would not be arrogant, but we would be able to, with through our hardships, in a posture of humility, demonstrate and declare the hope that is within us. Would you help us do that? We love you in Christ's name. Amen.